Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Everything 80s Podcast, episode number one, VHS versus Beta, the story of the original format war. Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast, brought to you by Everything80spodcast.com. And today we're looking at the story and the history of the original format war between VHS and Beta. And over the years, there's obviously been many different format and console wars. You think of things like Nintendo and Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, Apple and Android, Kelly and Topanga, but there's one format war that ruled them all. And the VHS versus beta format wars, which started in the late 70s, would stretch into the 80s. And as video players became more affordable, the battle would continue to grow with the VHS format ultimately winning out and leading to the end of beta. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And let's get right into it. So when I was younger, my grandpa was one of those, uh, you know, early adopters. Anytime a new technology came out, he'd be all over it. And when I was younger, I remember he had the very first compact disc player I'd ever seen. He also went to things like digital cassettes before they were even a big thing. He had the first big screen TV on his street. He loved any new technology. And according to my dad, they also had the first color TV in their neighborhood and also one of the very first Betamax video players. And I remember the thrill of being able to watch a movie that didn't have any commercials in it and you didn't have to go to the theater to see. So he went with beta because it was considered to be the superior model or so he would think, and actually everyone would think, but this would lead to that long battle between it and the slightly inferior VHS. And we'll get to all that in a bit. So I think the first thing is to look at the importance of the VCR in our lives. And it's there's an interesting thought that the the very advent of home video players, uh, these video cassette recorders, essentially helped to create, you know, nostalgia and fandom as we know it. Like if you think up until that time, everything you watched was a one-time shot. There was no reliving sports moments. When you went to the movies, that was it. You saw it and you're gone. Your favorite shows you could only see. The only hope you had was to catch them on a repeat and or go to see the movie again or, you know, waiting for that Brady Bunch episode to come up again in three weeks time. It's like the same way you'd sit by a tape deck listening to the radio to catch and record your favorite song. But and it's something like talking about this whole fandom and investment in movies it really didn't happen until the creation of VCRs. It, like if there was a movie you loved before the late seventies or eighties, like you only had that short access 
in the theater for that little bit of time. And you couldn't really spend a lot of time delving deeper into it and, you know, appreciating all the little unique moments and looking for hidden things. So the VCR allowed us to, you know, pour over these movies and develop a real knowledge and appreciation for them. So, I mean, you'd be able to rewind parts of E.T. or Indiana Jones that you didn't catch before. And it, it ultimately, it let you become more invested and connected to them. So personally, I remember, I distinctly remember the first VCR we got. And the idea that we could now take what we had watched on TV and had it stored on tape to rewatch anytime was mind-blowing to me. Um, and you could even set it to record shows when you weren't even there. This is some kind of like sorcery. And this goes back quite a ways, but the first VCR I remember having had this little panel with these small little like dials that were kind of like a rotary form of setting a day and time to record it. I remember being kind of unsure how all this worked. And I don't know if you did this. We remember, remember having to leave the TV on thinking the actual, like the TV had to be on so the picture and the sound could be recorded. We didn't know any different. We thought if you turn the TV off, it wasn't going to be able to capture all that. I don't know if anyone else is guilty of that, but it, it seemed like the logical thing at the time. <clears throat> I remember when we first got a VCR that had on. Do you remember on-screen programming? That to me was the height of innovation. So you could control now with a remote whatever you wanted, and you could also set up multiple recordings. Um, and then you know, if you're like me, you'd get you know blank VHS tape every. Christmas or birthday, and that was your own tape, and you could put whatever you wanted on it. But okay, that's enough about me. Let's look back actually at the creation of the VCR. So, the VCR as a tape player actually goes way further back than you may realize. It started with the Ampex Corporation, and they created the VCR in 1956. It was first called the VRX 1000. It used a, a rotating head design to record video and audio on a magnetic track. And guess how much this thing cost fifty thousand dollars. So, and that's in nineteen fifty six. So, obviously, no one in hell could afford to pay for something like this. And even if you did, you actually needed a specific technician to help run it. It's kind of like the same way with like Tesla cars now. If yours breaks down, or like they send specific technicians, you can't just take this thing down to the corner garage. You have to have like highly trained individuals. That was the whole thing with this original VCR. And the problem is for 50 grand, the whole thing would only have a lifespan of like a few hundred hours, absolute max. So I'm really not sure who the target market was for this VRX 1000, but it like, obviously there's no way it could have been the average consumer. Cause I actually converted this 50 grand back then is the equivalent of $325,000 today. Um, and the the weird thing was it was never originally intended for use by television companies, which seems really odd. I think it just because TV was basically live in those days and there was no concept of recorded tape or whatever. So the prospect of the technology then was instantly recognized by some of these networks. And despite the cost, they could foresee the idea of not always having to do live broadcasts. Um, I don't know if you've familiar with the old days of, of broadcast television, you'd have to, there would be so many standards and practices, even with like um, early commercials, there'd have to be logs recorded. You'd have to take down all the data. It was, it was a constant headache to do any form of live broadcast. Now basically anything goes. So 
one of the first shows to kind of use a format like this was The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason. And they started looking into it in 1952 with what was called the electronic cam system. So they would record. I don't know if you've watched The Honeymooners. I'm a big fan. So what you were watching, even if it was back when it originally aired, those Honeymooners episodes, you weren't watching live TV. It was recorded live, but then it would be like recorded on the film to be played over the broadcast. The, the thing is, though, they didn't edit the film. Anything that happened live stayed in that recording, but it meant they didn't have to do multiple live broadcasts. So this VRX machine allowed this, um, they allowed it to do this in this much easier tape format. So that brings us into the Sony U-Matic and the progression of the VCR. So <clears throat> a prototype for one of the very first commercial VCR players was debuted in October 1969 in Japan and through Sony. They're at the forefront of all this technology. They wanted to come up with an industry standard, and they did this with the Sony U-Matic, releasing it in 1971, and this would be the world's first video cassette recording format. So it used tapes that were a bit bigger than a standard VHS tape, and they only had a maximum playing time of around 60 minutes at first. If you want to see more um, details and pictures of these things, you can go to what we call the show notes, and that's at everything80spodcast.com. So for this episode, it's everything80spodcast.com slash one, and you'll see the full article. You'll see all the pictures if you want to look a little deeper into it. So Sony's on board here. Then Philips uh, was also in on the game, and they brought out a home video cassette format in 1970, and that was specifically made for TV stations. Uh, then they saw the prospect and would make this become available on the consumer market in 1972. So this machine was originally called the N1500, but they had a different name for this new format. They called it Video Cassette Recording, or VCR. So at this time... We've only got one format, but the concept of the VCR is taking off. So the industry obviously boomed in the 80s. Um, and r like right off the bat, 10% 10 of households owned one. And by 1985, 30% of households owned a VCR. But before that concept of the VCR that would become commonplace in most households, it would split into two different formats, beta and VHS. So the creation of Betas, it started with Sony in 1974 with their prototype for this video recording system that they would call Beta. At the same time, JVC was looking at going with a different format, and it caused actually enough of a commotion at the time that Sony appealed to the Japanese Ministry of Trade, of Trade and Industry, um, and they were trying to combat this other format they were trying to kind of lock in that there would be one standard. But right there, they inadvertently started the format wars. So Sony released their first Betamax machine in 1975 and used cassette tapes that used a uh, 0.50 inch wide tape inside. So the idea is that the whole beta tape was hand sized. Like if you've ever picked one up before, they're a little more compact. So that was the idea behind that that size that they thought it would be a little easier for use. You know, not that handling a videotape is the most strenuous thing in the world. So if you wonder why the name beta, it's because the word has a double meaning. Beta is the Japanese word to describe the way that signals are recorded on the tape. 
And then the shape of the lowercase, I mean, this is where you have to kind of look up the um, image and logo of beta, but the shape of the lowercase b was to demonstrate the way that the tape moves through the machine. So it was kind of a perfect combination that this word existed. So the one problem that plagued Sony right out of the gate was due to the length of the tape. For the TV industry, you know, like I said, their past machines had a tape length of an hour. So that made total sense because of, you know, most shows never being longer than an hour, including commercials. When you've got an hour long show, it's usually around 44, 45 minutes and then, you know, 22 minutes of commercials compared to like a half hour show is around 22 minutes of show and then the rest is commercial time. So, you know, that was, you know, it just made sense that most shows would never run longer than an hour. Plus, the studios would have, um, you know, multiple machines and technicians who were able to change the tape. So the, the studios never needed a tape that was longer than an hour. So they, Sony saw no reason why the general public wouldn't want the same. And this might have been what led to their ultimate demise, which we'll get to in a bit. So there was always a focus on quality with the Betamax and through the 80s Sony put out a few upgraded versions I don't know if you remember any of these so they had Beta Hi-Fi they had Super Betamax I, I know my grandpa had one of those I distinctly remember the logo and the, um, on the machine saying that and then they had the extended definition Betamax so these versions would improve on picture quality and sound and it's they started to address the issue of runtime on tapes some of the models on the different settings would allow up to 90 minutes at most. So they could do around four to five hours, but these were on the highest end machines that the average person wasn't gonna be able to afford. So they did address this tape length issue, but not for you know you and me really. Okay, so in the meanwhile, we've got the creation of VHS. And it's interesting because Sony actually could have controlled the whole industry, but their attempt to dictate the industry um, and the industry standard backfired. So they had approached JVC about selling the patent of the Betamax so that JVC could do all the manufacturing. This had happened already with that old Sony U-Matic I, I mentioned before, and, and that ended up with Sony dominating the industry because they controlled the patent. Everyone had to make their product. So JVC made the very smart decision to decline the offer, but instead come up with their own technology and format. So the video home system, or VHS, was released in 1977, but they'd actually been playing around with it as early as you know 1971. So... In these early days, they actually came up with a set of guidelines that would be paramount in the existence of VHS. These are actual like <clears throat> real kind of unofficial laws that came with it. So here's a few of them. Um, one, the system must be compatible with any ordinary television set. The picture quality must be similar to normal air broadcast. The tape must have at least a two-hour recording capacity. And tapes must be interchangeable between different machines. The overall system should be versatile, they thought, meaning it can be scaled and expanded, such as you know connecting to a video camera or being able to dub between two different recorders. Uh, recorders should be affordable, easy to operate, and have low maintenance costs. And recorders must be capable of being produced in high volume. Their parts must be interchangeable, and they must be easy to service. So one of the big differences here is the fact JVC wanted their standard to use 
to be used by other manufacturers and not totally controlled the way Sony was with beta. So JVC persuaded Hitachi, Mitsubishi, uh, Sharp to sail, you know, basically on the good ship VHS. So with VHS, they're using a bigger videotape than the more compact and, you know, convenient beta, but with one big difference. It had a longer recording time. So right out of the gate, a VHS tape was able to record two hours. So that was a good way to cover uh, most movies, including commercials or four regular sitcoms, including commercials. So, and then it didn't take long for some adjustments to be made. A VHS VCR could now have different recording settings. So if you remember, there was like SP, LP, SLP, you could now slow down the speed of the tape as it recorded, which would reduce the quality, but give you double or triple the storage capacity. And if you add to this, that a VHS um, cassette tape was big enough to hold around 1400 feet of tape, you now have the ability to fit six hours on the tape with no problem. And this would be like, as you can see all this, this would be the centerpiece of this whole VHS beta war. Okay, so VHS and beta, beta go head to head, and it came down when it came down to quality. It appeared that Beta had VHS beat. You might have always had this assumption, and both concepts used a, a horizontal resolution involving lines, and Beta had a slightly higher resolution of around 250 lines. They could get this up to around 290 with a Super Beta, but this was, you know. They, they introduced this in 1985, and this is a point where they're starting to lose that format war. But like I said, there's always this idea that beta is vastly superior when it comes to picture quality um, and everything. But when you look back at the technical details of two average machines that like you and I would probably own, they honestly end up being pretty much identical. The, it was the earliest version of beta that had a superior picture, but this was before they became more mainstream. So a big reason for this idea of beta always being such a higher quality, honestly, was because of Sony. They just marketed everything this way. Like everything was promoted as being top-notch, the highest quality. And people just basically began to buy into it. And it, it clearly worked. So looking now, not only was recording length one of the main factors of the VHS versus beta wars, but the retail price was also now starting to come into the mix. Due to JVC bringing out other, you know, the other manufacturers now and in, into the, um, the market, they could all compete against one another, allowing for lower prices for the consumer, but ultimately more sales overall. So by 1984, there are 70 different VCR manufacturers I remember like when we would have bought our, you know, second VCR to have in the house, it was a brand name I've never heard of in my life. That's probably long gone. You might've had a few as well too. So there, there's so many variations in prices of beta and VHS players. So it's hard to get a definite comparison, but like when we just look at the cost here, but to start off in 1976, the average price for VCR was around $1,200 converted to today. That's around 5,500, which is insane to think about for like a, home entertainment unit or whatever. There's an article on the Chicago Tribune I found from 1985, and it talks about as um, the industry grows that the majority of the VHS selection for the, the, the players was around, you know, between $200 and $400, which today is the equivalent of 460 to around $920, which is, is kind of understandable. Like, um, you know, when any new technology comes out, it, it's 
going to cost a lot. You, you know, if you look at when um, CD players first came out or whatnot, anything that's always interesting. So, I mean, that's not crazy bad if you think about it. So either way, these are hundreds less than Betamax machines were costing at the same time. So if we look at the outcome of this whole war, ultimately the Betamax did have a slightly better picture. It had a bit better audio. It had, you know, it had a more stable image. The problem, as much as the price had something to do with it, it came down to recording time and one big thing, football. One of the biggest complaints about beta early on was the inability to record football games, which can average around, you know, three hours in length. People already knew that a VCR was capable of recording TV shows and, and most movies, but the feedback continued to be about the issue of not being able to fit an entire sports event on a beta tape. If you had to go out and miss the game, um, you were kind of screwed because you couldn't record the whole thing. And then you'd have to wait till the highlights that night. It was easier to avoid spoilers, obviously, back in the 80s without internet or, or communication with anything you could avoid. It was so easy to avoid as long as you told people to like, shut their mouths in public. But it, you couldn't record entire sports events. And this was actually a real issue that came up all the time. The other problem is it didn't take long for the VCR in general to become synonymous with VHS. Although <clears throat> Betamax owned 100% of the market in 1975, by 1980, VHS was controlling 60% of the market. By 1981, beta sales had dropped to just 25% of the VCR market. By 86, it was just 7.5%. So it was the combination of the poor sales um, and then the fact that the huge video rental market was just starting to emerge. So you had movie studios and video studios and all these new rental stores were turning away from Betamax. Fewer and fewer people were choosing the more expensive option with the limited recording capacity and it just wasn't worth it for these video rental stores to stock every movie, movie title in beta format. So you, then you combine the lack of available titles, the low market share. It basically allowed VHS to uh, have this distant, distant lead. So sales of beta eventually dwindled enough to allow VHS to emerge as the victor in these format wars. The sign that it was all over would come in 1988 when Sony essentially threw in the towel. They started making VHS machines. So... Surprisingly, though, they were still making beta machines until 2002. I don't know who in the hell was still buying a VCR, let alone a Betamax in 2002, but they were still out there. Um, what it all comes down to is Sony ignoring what the market wanted. They weren't listening to what the people were saying, and they took it upon themselves to decide that a one-hour tape was all that people would need. Again, football games are partly what sunk the whole... Betamax industry in the long run. So Sony, you know, they hung to this idea that people would want the superior quality, but that really wasn't the case. As with most things, people wanted cheaper, better usage and compatibility, and they found this with VHS. So it's tough when a company tries to dictate how the market will go, and it really ended up biting beta in the ass. You know, VHS would rule for almost 40 years. Um, an amazing 40 years, but you know, ultimately they would fade out too and die to uh, DVD and then Blu-ray, but they still actually were able to ride that out a bit with, um, you know, VHS DVD combos. I don't know if you've had one of those. I'm, I'm pretty sure like every 
household has had one of them. So they're able to still hang on for decades, which is incredible for a piece of technology, which can get um, phased out so fast. Another crazy thing I learned researching all this. So Sony stops making the Betamax in 2002. They're still producing the, the cassette tapes until March 2016. This, this is a few years ago. They were still producing cassette tapes. I don't know who was buying these things, but there was obviously a market for it. Okay, so <laughs> we'll start wrapping up here. Uh, like I, you know, I said, I only knew, I think, honestly, two people who owned a Betamax, and one of them was my grandpa. And then he would end up getting one of those super high-end VHSs when they became available. And I don't know if you remember back these old, old machines, if you ever saw one from the late 70s or whatever, that were gigantic, and they looked like they they weighed an actual ton. It took like three people to move them. They made so much mechanical noise. It was nuts. But, you know, for the rest of us, we all had a VHS, and it's, you know, a big and definitive part of childhood in the 80s. You could now own the movies you loved. You could rewatch them anytime you wanted. You You could record anything you wanted off live TV, relive it again and again. It was pretty amazing. So the VHS versus beta format wars, I think turns out to be a very interesting story. And and they do serve as a real lesson um, for classic marketing case study. And they are used in um, a lot of business schools to look at this whole idea of, um, you know, listening to what people say instead of trying to dictate it, you know, but, you know, no matter what format you supported, um, it, it was still a synonymous part of, of childhood and, and enjoying all these things in movies and shows way more in depth than we never, um, than we never were able to do before. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you find podcasts, probably Apple podcasts or Stitcher radio, where, wherever you find them, I should be there. And if you like, I said, if you want to see more detail on this and the pictures and more of, um, the whole written blog format of this, go to everything eighties podcast.com slash one. It'll be all there. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Eighty-eight miles per hour! <laughs>